0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. And in this message, Pastor Jeff is talking about truth and love. He's in the books of Jeremiah and Daniel chapter 2 with a message of God's love and how this can be a transforming power in society if believers follow Daniel's example. Here's Pastor Jeff to begin the message. Uh, we are in the middle of a series where we're saying that for, for where God is taking us, now is the time. So if you have your Bible, Jeremiah 29 and Daniel 1, they're connected. You say, I thought we were in Daniel. We still are. Jeremiah 29 and Daniel 1. And as I get you started in that, I want to give you a pop quiz. Is that okay? Pop quiz. Remember those when you were in school? When your teacher said, I'm going to give you a pop quiz and you panicked? All right. Pop quiz. Pop quiz. Now, this is easy because they're yes and no answers. So it's either yes or no. You got a 50-50 chance before we even start. Okay, and probably be best not to answer them out loud. You never know what's going to happen. First question, yes or no. Did God mark out the place where you would live? Now, the question is, do you think that God, you think you're here where you're living, wherever it is, do you think you live there by accident? Or do you think that somehow over time... Over the time of your life that God has been orchestrating, fashioning all these events together to get you where you are in the here and now. Now, you'd have trouble if you said no because in Acts 17 we're told that from one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So the Bible seems to indicate that you are where you are right now and it's been no surprise to God and God has actually been orchestrating events all around you. In order to get you where you are in the here and now? So the answer would be yes. Second question, yes or no? Do you think God calls you to a specific community? Yes or no? Do you think God calls you not only to live in the house you're in, the community you're in, but do you think that he's placed you in a community of people? And according to scripture, again, the answer would be yes. Uh, because it, in God's eyes or in our eyes concerning God, there's really no such thing as an accident and God is a very wise investor. He's a master builder. So according to scripture, he knew where you were going to live, determines even where you're going to be, and then determines the community that you're going to be in so that you can use the gifts, talents, and abilities he's given you to make that community strong. Okay? So the answer again, according to scripture, would be yes. Question three, do you think we're living in a time that is especially hostile toward God? Yes or no? Yeah, pretty much. This is from Culture Watch. One of the most intolerant places on earth today is the Western University. Woe to any conservatives or Christians who dare to stand against the secular left dominance on campus. Anti-Christian bigotry is alive and well in the West, but it is especially pronounced at our universities. It is open season on Christianity at most Western campuses today. A US professor by the name of Richard Rort, he symbolizes most of our professors at our secular universities. He says, I like most Americans who teach humanities or social science in colleges and universities, try to arrange things so that students who enter as bigoted, homophobic, religious fundamentalists will leave college with views more like our own. You see? Now, notice the irony here. We're going to go from one indoctrination to the one we like. All right. Three, Dennis Prager, in a work called Still the Best Hope, Says just as the purpose of Christian seminaries is to produce committed Christians, the primary purpose of most Western universities is, consciously or not, to produce committed secular leftists. The major difference between them is that Christian seminaries declare their purpose and Western universities do not. So we live in a society here in the West. I mean, we're not, we don't have our head buried in the sand. We know that it's a society that no longer honors God. The test, Christian morality, is angered by Christ's exclusivity and shows great intolerance for the Christian community. Now, here's question four. How do you think you're doing so far? Question four. Is the church the problem or the solution? Trick question. I think it's both. Now, this is going to astound you or maybe not. Let's talk about the solution first. And remember, if I ever repeat something it's not because I ran out of material. You know, I can preach for an hour and you know it. It's because there's something that I've said in the past that I want to make sure you don't skip over. You get so much new information every week. There are some things I want you to hear. Do you remember what we said during the book of Acts study when we talked about the Great Awakening? How in the middle of the 18th century, both France and Britain were experiencing the same social inequities. And as a result, there was the Industrial Revolution There's this explosion that kept building and building in France, and finally the powder keg just exploded everywhere, and you had the French Revolution, which was bloody and ruthless, but those same set of social circumstances were in Britain as well, same issues, same pressure, same inequities, and yet the powder keg did not explode in Britain. And historians tell us the difference between Britain and France was that Britain experienced rather than a, a bloodied revolution, a great awakening through the preaching of the gospel. That the British Isles, up to one-fifth of the entire population, all became Christ followers. They were captivated by the message of Jesus Christ. And as a result, it catalyzed social healing and multiplied over the next few decades so that the rich became generous Greed surrenders to generosity at the point of conversion, and the poor, they also receive the power and a truth that moves them towards self-discipline and hard work and a rejection of entitlement. So that like cold air meeting hot air, this dynamic of Christianity brought a thundering applause from the masses. Now, in the wake of this amazing transformational power that we talked about in the book of Acts, these Christian converts began to abolish the slave trade. The, the, the relationships between labor and capital improved. Child labor laws were reformed. Christianity fought for literacy, more people to read and become educated. The elderly were valued and respected. Orphans and widows were cared for and looked after. So every time somebody mentions something to me about what Christianity has done in our world, we forget that we in the West are an exact product of the Christ followers who had compassion for those who were hurting And all because both the hearts of the rich and the poor have been transformed by the gospel. And all this comes out from where? 2,000 years ago when there was a tiny group of peasants and slaves who believed that Jesus was the pre-existing son of God, come to earth, died, rose again on the third day. This little group that started out in the church had no political power, no cultural power, no educational power whatsoever, and yet it turned the world upside down with the gospel so that millions experienced joy and peace in the Roman Empire. It's an amazing story. And in the days of the Greco-Roman world, just as in the days of, of the British Isles during the Enlightenment or during the Great Awakening, rather, the family was breaking down, the social structure was disintegrating, law and order were eroding, basic moral values were drifting by the wayside. But the followers of Christ so infiltrated the Roman world with a message and the teachings of Jesus Christ that by the third century, we said the emperor had to declare that Rome had become a Christian society. Amazing. Question four. Remember I said I had five. Question four. Is the church the problem or the solution? It's the solution, yes. Because, listen, any time in history that Christians have acted like Christians, the world changes. (coughs) Any time in history when the Christians acted like Christians, there was dramatic social change. Is Christianity the problem? Yes. Here's when she's the problem. When she hides behind the rocks and snipes from the bushes. (laughs) When all she does is complain about how bad the world is. When she separates herself from society and stops impacting society with the truth of the gospel. And the reason we're looking at the book of Daniel, and man, we're going to get into some good stuff over these next few weeks. I mean, I'm I'm excited because it's new stuff. It's stuff that I not discovered in my ministry before. So we're kind of setting the foundation, the stage, but The reason we're looking at it is because when you look at Dan's culture, it's just like ours. It's just like ours. We feel that we're in exile. We feel that we've been relegated to the sidelines. We feel that we've been targeted for extinction. But here's the thing. When Christ followers in the past have been sidelined, that's when they flourish the most. You know, if you want to kill Christianity, do you know what you do? Ignore it. Just ignore it. And Christians become fat and lazy and apathetic they're not disciple. they don't grow, and they have no impact on society. But don't attack Christianity, because every time you attack Christianity, it rises up with a force and power that is unstoppable. It's kind of like Jesus. You just can't keep a good thing down. So the solution to the ills of society is the Christian. The problem to the ills of society is the Christian. When he or she does not follow the pattern of Daniel. Now, Daniel gives us a pattern of how we are, how we're to live. I know how you're, look, I know what's going on here. Some of you just can't get off Fox News. Some of you just can't get off CNN. Whatever it is that you have a leaning toward, and you read it and you look at Google and you just get angry and it's making it really mad all the time. Because you think, oh, our our just it's just going to hell in a handbasket. So what you do is you hide behind the bushes and snipe. But Daniel gives us a different pattern. But you can't understand what Daniel is about to give us until you understand the context in which he's living. So let me go back and remind you and then we're going to have some fun. In 587 BC, the nation of Israel was invaded by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Now, it was devastating because the nation of Israel was taken away from their culture, from their arts, from their sciences, from all their beliefs that centered around the God of the Bible, and they were placed into a culture that was hostile toward God, not hostile toward religion per se, but toward the exclusivity of the God of the Bible. So when we get to Daniel 3, we find King Nebuchadnezzar building this enormous statue. And he says, everybody's got to come out to the plain of Dura, I believe, and you've got to bow down and worship this statue. Now, here's the thing. He said, you can still worship your own gods as long as you worship mine too. Now, that's only going to be a problem for one people group, the Christians. In this case, the God-fearers, the Israelites, because they're monotheistic. It's only their religion that tells them they're the only religion on the face of the earth that said there is but one God, the creator, sustainer of all things. So what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, Bendejoe, and Daniel? We don't hear much about Daniel, but we know about the three Hebrew boys. They end up in a fiery furnace. So in the midst of this, a question came up among the Hebrews exiled in Babylon, and it's this, how do we live a life of integrity that mirrors the message of God in a world that is hostile toward the gospel or toward God? Now, here's the part that we forget. King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah and took the nation captive. We know that. What most people do not know is that Nebuchadnezzar actually invaded Jerusalem twice. In 587 BC, he came and knocked Jerusalem to the ground, laid waste, destroyed the city completely. But 10 years earlier, in 597 BC, he came and he did not destroy the city. He did not tear down the walls. He did not lay waste of the city. Do you know what he did? He was smart. He just carted off 10,000 of the wise people that educated from Israel into Babylon. The strategic 10,000, 10,000 young professionals, 10,000 in the governments and the arts and the education system and scholars, the wise and their families, and he took them to Babylon. Now, how brilliant is that? How do you, how do you conquer a people? You convert the influencers. You take the professionals and Babylonialize them spiritually, socially, culturally, intellectually, religiously, and then you send them back to their own people. That's exactly what the secular humanists are doing in America today. They're taking a page out of Nebuchadnezzar's book. We don't need war. We just need to change the minds of the future generation. We need to Babylonialize them, secularize them. So that would be the way that you could completely subjugate Israel. There'd be no no need to shed any blood, just destroy the biblical worldview of an entire professional class of people, have them then go back to Israel and become the professors and the educators there. And within one generation, you can completely destroy faith in one God. Now, this is where it gets really good in the story. These 10,000, when Nebuchadnezzar brings them into Babylon, guess what they did? These 10,000 well-educated, wise men, God-fearers, they refuse to move into the city of Babylon, and they take settlement out in a place called Nippur near the Kebar Canal, which is some distance outside and away from the city. According to Jeremiah, the lead prophet, Hananiah, sent them a message. He said to them, hey, do not move into the city. You might be taken into captivity. Don't go into the city. We're believers. They're not. Babylon is the source of pagan culture. Have nothing to do with Babylon or its people. Stay out and, in fact, pray against the city. Pray against it. We prophets foresee that God's going to judge the city. He's going to restore our proper reign. We'll be back in charge. So pray against the city and then stand back and watch the destruction begin. And be happy about it. Be happy. I'm telling you that in the same way the secular humanists are taking a page out of Nebuchadnezzar's book, too many Christians are taking a page out of Hananiah's book let's just stop just for a second here. You know, I told you when I was a little boy, oh, I was a paper boy. I ran the paper route. That's how I made my money. My brothers were all jealous because I always had money because I was always willing to work. And I had a red rider bicycle. I was so proud when I got this for Christmas. Two baskets, two baskets, one basket on each side. And I'd roll up those papers and put the rubber band and stuff them down in there. And I'm sanguine personality, so I have to make everything fun. Everything has to be fun. I painted houses for a while when I was in college, and I'd always have the radio going. The best music, I'd be dancing as I'm painting. I wasn't a very good painter, but I was a good dancer. And I would roll down the streets, and every street in our neighborhood was named after a tree. And I would roll down Mulberry and Hickory. I'd roll down these streets, and I'd pull. I didn't even have to stop, folks. did not have to stop. I just pulled it out and fired it on the porch. Just going down, just firing away, because we didn't have fences, we didn't have walls back then. So in my neighborhood, everything was open. I could just, I could do it in like an hour. I could deliver all my papers in one hour, just on that bicycle. Okay. Now, that that neighborhood, unfortunately, was an evil neighborhood. <laughs> evil. And every day around three thirty p.m., my journey through the streets of hell began. And my first street was called Walnut Street, and it had a bully named Lynn Kiker. And I've told you his story in the past, don't have time to do that now, but he's a bully and a braggart. I don't know where he is today, but I'm guessing Leavenworth. <laughs> he lived to abuse me, this kid. He would throw things at me, set traps for me. This, this is when I first learned to pray as a little boy. And here's my prayer my prayer would be things like, God, get him. <laughs> Destroy this heathen. Take him out, poison his lollipop, slip arsenic in his coke can. Give him a bad case of the measles, anything. And I would pray God take him out. He's evil. <laughs> and then I'd have to go to Mulberry Street. And every, there were five streets, I can't tell you about every one of them, but the next street was Mulberry, and there was his family in the center of the street who had a big old, ugly black Doverman. And his name was Satan. Who named, they named their dog Satan. I didn't know this would be a metaphor of life for me later, but Satan. And that dog would wait for me on the front porch. He was always home. He knew exactly what time the paper boy was going to be there. And he would, it was, it was horrible. He would show his teeth at me. He would, it was like, he would stand on the porch and give me a head start. He would just wait till I, he could have caught me long before I even got to his house. He would just wait and stand there. Show me his teeth. Chase me. Folks, you know, when you're 10 years old, you're going to have nightmares about this. I had nightmares, constant fear of this dog. And this is where I learned to pray with a sense of duty. I was inspired. God poisoned his dog food. (laughs) Give him a gum disease. Cause his teeth to fall out. May he get hit by a car, a big car, like a truck or a van. May he not die immediately. May he suffer for days. Now you say, Pastor Jeff, you said five questions. I've only heard four. Here's my fifth question. Do all dogs go to heaven? No. Some of them go to hell with the rest of the cats. And everybody knows that. Now, in the midst of all this, my parents and my church, although they were very well-meaning, they were good people, they taught me one simple rule. Avoid evil people. Don't frequent their residences. Don't go where they go and do what they do. Stand out, stand alone, stand against. We're the people of God and they're not. Separate and wait for annihilation. Now, Hananiah is presenting this message to the people of God. And in the midst of this, Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, Living back in Judah, he writes a letter to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and everyone living in an exilic community. And he says, don't listen to Ananiah. This is what the word of the Lord is. Now, remember, Jeremiah is the true prophet of God. And Jeremiah's letter in Jeremiah 29 became the blueprint for how you live in an exile world. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Now, this would have been absolutely shocking, unbelievably counterintuitive. Jeremiah says, don't withdraw. Don't pray that God would punish them. Don't wish destruction upon the city. Don't rejoice in their downfall. Can I just stop there? Okay, we're going to get personal. How many of you wish something bad would happen to Hillary Clinton? (laughs) How many of you wish that something bad would happen to Donald Trump? How many of you wish that something bad would happen to CNN or Fox or MSNBC? See, you got a problem. The information we're given is that God doesn't work that way. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper should be praying for Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Do you want to understand the book of Daniel as we go deeper into it? Then it begins by understanding Jeremiah 29 and the blueprint for living in a Christian or Western rather society. How do we live a life of integrity that mirrors the message of God in a world that is hostile toward God? Now, ultimately, here's what we learn quickly. Three powerful truths. This is the blueprint. I think the first thing God would say to us today is, Chill, chill, I got this. Love, plant some gardens. Take a wife, take a husband, go to school. I got this, pray. Three things, number one, remind yourself what God is doing. History is about redemption. Redeeming man is God's ultimate priority. Helping people far from God come near is your calling. So what God is saying is, This Babylonian takeover is all part of my plan. Could you imagine the Israelites hearing that? What? The destruction of Jerusalem and your exile? Saw it coming, didn't stop it. (laughs) It's part of my plan that you lost cultural power, Christians. It's part of my plan that you're living in a pagan, wicked city. It's part of my plan to use you for purposes of redemption. I need you to help this pagan society reimagine itself. And I can't do that if you separate from them and pray for their destruction. You know, my father told me once, be careful that you pray for for people's destruction. Be careful for praying that God would bring destruction on injustice because you might be the first one he takes out. I remember my dad saying that a long time ago. God is saying to his people, you're having to live as believers in an unbelieving world. It's part of my plan. I designed this. Now move in there. Don't stay away. Show them what it's like. To be the people of God, let them see your holiness and purity, your grace and your mercy, your kindness. Let them see your determination to make this place a place of prosperity. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So if we're doing our job, that means our schools are going to be better. Our city is going to be better. Poverty should decrease. Prosperity should increase. We don't snipe from the bushes, man. We infiltrate and permeate. We plant. You know what we do? We build care centres. We improve schools. And we plant spiritual gardens. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. We live in this society and we're supposed to remind ourselves of what God is doing. And we're supposed to refuse to believe that the only choices we have is separation and assimilation, that we can actually permeate society. But that requires you to be different and live a godly life. Stop using grace as an excuse to sin against God. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me wanna dance and sing with every single breath I breathe I will break this off You are my wonder you with the wonder today today today, today. with Jeff fines